We are going to be this morning in the book of Acts in several different places. I want to encourage you, if you have your own Bibles in front of you, to follow along with us. If you don't have your Bible and you're watching through the uh, website, you can um, go to the right of the picture, and there's an opportunity there to find a Bible translation and uh, follow along. Again, we're going to be uh, going through the book of Acts uh, in a few places uh, this morning as we continue with our worship service. I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the privilege of having your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would use that word to impact our lives, that we might serve Jesus better and make him smile. We pray in his name, the name above all names. Amen. I don't know how many of you have had nicknames along the way in your life. Um, I have had several um, as I've gone through various life stages and experiences. Of course, when I first got my glasses when I was in the fourth grade, the inevitable nickname was Four Eyes. And uh, I shed that nickname for a while when I got contact lenses. But as you see, I am back in glasses and once again, Four Eyes. Somebody, when I was in junior high school, I was bent over apparently, and they noticed that my nose, at least to them, appeared to look like a rocket booster. And so they began to call me, for a while, a rocket booster nose. I uh, made a couple of mission trips to Zambia and Africa. My first mission trip there, I had an emergency appendectomy the first day I was in Zambia. And I was sitting, uh, I was laying on my bed, uh, laying on the surgery's table, excuse me, uh, and the uh, anesthesiologist came in and he looked at me and he said, you are a very fat man. And so for a while in Zambia, I was the very fat man. I'm reading an autobiography of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, the great Civil War general and the president of the United States. And in his autobiography, it says that when he was a kid, his friends, I'll put that in quotation marks, uh, decided instead of calling him Ulysses, they would call him useless. So he was useless Grant for a very, very long time. Of course, other nicknames are diminutives of names, you know, shorthand, Bob and Mike and Sue and Joe. But Bible nicknames are very, very different than that. Bible nicknames said something incredibly significant about the person. And it's that truth is anchored in the person that we're going to talk about today, a guy named Joe. Actually, his full name was Joseph. He was a Levite from Cyprus. And you probably know him, if you know your Bible characters, as Barnabas. But that's not his name. Barnabas is his nickname. And it was not tacked on because of some physical appearance attribute like my rocket booster nose. No, he earned this nickname. Because literally, his nickname means son of encouragement, the encourager. We would all do well to earn that same nickname, I think. And so today we're going to discover five characteristics of a Barnabas, of an encourager. The first one we're going to find in the book of Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, our introduction to Barnabas. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The first characteristic of a Barnabas Encouragers give freely of their resources without expecting anything in return. I had a very, very dear friend who was also a boss of mine in the United States Air Force when I was stationed in Colorado Springs, Colorado at NORAD headquarters. His name was Tom Patimerme, and he 
was going to be out for a couple of weeks, and he was normally pretty reticent about where he was going when he was going to be gone. But uh, And so I asked him, I said, hey, sir, what's going on? You going on vacation, going somewhere fun? He said, no, I'm going to be in the hospital for a couple for a week or so. I said, hospital for a week or so? He said, yeah, my brother uh, needs a kidney because his are failing, and I'm going to give him one of mine. And I thought, man, talk about giving up freely, you know, without really expecting anything in return. Corey Tenboom, the author of The Hiding Place, who was uh, herself hid during the early days of World War II before she was carted off to a concentration camp, and her and her family had been hiding other, uh, uh, had been hiding Jewish people who were, of course, being persecuted at that day and that time. Uh, she talked about a kind of an open-handed philosophy of life in her book, The Hiding Place, which if you've not read, you should read it. She said this in the book, keep an open hand lest God has to pry our fingers off of something we're trying to hold on to. Encouragers, they know how to let go. They know how to let go freely. They know how to be people of generosity. The second characteristic of an encourager we're going to find in the book of Acts, chapter 9, starting in verse 19, actually the second part of verse 19. I'll give you a second to get there. The book of Acts says this, Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is just the beginning of Saul, who will be Paul's you know, adventures for the Lord. Verse 26, when he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, here he is, Barnabas took him and brought Saul to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Paul's conversion got him in trouble. His conversion got him in trouble because people who knew his past, the past of persecution, of being, you know, uh, 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 vociferous in his complaints about Christians and, and energetic in his pursuit of Christians, the people who knew his past could not believe that he was now a believer in Jesus. But verse 27, along comes the Barnabas, along comes the son of encouragement. Here's the second characteristic of an encourager. Encouragers accept you where you are and take you where you need to go. Encouragers have a wonderful ability to let the past be the past. Some of us, and I've been guilty of this from time to time, some of us carry folks past around forever and we keep making it present. We don't let the past tense be the past tense. We keep making it into the present tense and we are called to let it go, put it down and meet people where they are. The third characteristic shows up in the book of Acts in chapter 11, again in verse 19, chapter 11. I'll give you a second to get there. I can see you flipping those pages. Not really. Verse 19 of chapter 11. 
Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent, guess who, Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. In the early days of the church, they were continually encountering something new. Uh-oh, something new. Uh-oh. Just the words sometimes send contemporary churchgoers into a panic. But here it is at the beginning of the church. They're encountering something new. And the new thing was here was that Gentiles, people who had no Jewish background, Gentiles were being saved, were accepting Jesus in their hearts as their personal Lord and Savior. And the church at Jerusalem, puzzled by this, sends, guess who, Barnabas, to check things out. What happens? Third characteristic of an encourager. An encourager gets excited about the progress of other people. See, when Barnabas shows up, he's not envious, he's not jealous, he doesn't discount the progress of people who had been Gentiles, who now had become Christians. No, he just has joy because he's excited about the progress of other people. So we're going to look again, though, right in that same passage, though. Look in verses 25 and 26. Just continue right on in that same passage in verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, Barnabas brought Saul to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What's the fourth characteristic of an encourager? An encourager's major goal is to get needs met, even if they're not the one to meet it. Do you see? Barnabas, he's not out to make a name for himself. He's not seeking credit. He's in the middle of this movement of the, of the Spirit of God in Antioch. He sees what's going on. What does he do? He doesn't stay there. He doesn't launch a multi-campus church with the Barnabas church name on it. No. What does he do? He says, I need to go see who can help meet this need even better than I can. And he goes and he gets Saul. He goes and he gets Saul. I love this. I love that Barnabas is so enamored with the possibility that these people will grow in their faith, that he's willing to go get and partner with somebody he knows he's already seen has an impact in the lives of Gentiles who become believers in Jesus. Nothing in here is about himself. I love that. Have you ever been in conversations where the entirety of the conversation is other people's stuff? They never once pause to say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? No, it's all about them and their report of their latest calamities in their life. And I'm not dismissing the reality that we all have calamities in our life. But conversations with people who are genuine encouragers, they get around to saying, hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And don't give me that, oh, everything's fine nonsense. Really, 
What's going on with you? Barnabas, that's the kind of person he is. That's the kind of encourager he is. There's one more thing here. One more time in the book of Acts, chapter 15 now. Chapter 15, just flip a few more pages ahead or just scroll down on the screen if you're following along on the website. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. Sometime later, Paul, now his name has been Greekified, if you will, from Saul, which was Hebrew to Paul. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the Lord of the Lord and see what they are doing. Now, time out. What had happened between our last passage and this passage is Paul and Barnabas had gone off with uh, with somebody else we'll talk about in a minute. They'd gone off on their first missionary journey, traveling parts of the ancient world, spreading the good news. And so now um, uh, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go do it again. Let's do our second tour. Um, verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, later on, of course. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he, Mark, had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had, Barnabas and Paul, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. This passage is interesting to me because we really don't know why Mark left on that first missionary journey. He was probably just a kid. He was probably homesick. Or maybe he was scared. Maybe he had gotten sick. We don't really know. But here's what the encourager does. Here's the fifth characteristic from the book of Acts of an encourager. Here's what Barnabas does. Encourages, encouragers, excuse me, are willing to give you a second chance and they're willing to go to the mat for you. Now this amplifies, in fact, it goes on beyond the acceptance and forward movement of that second characteristic we talked about. This is active advocacy for one who has had failure. This is the voice saying, God can still use you. I have a plaque poster kind of thing in my study at the church building, and it has the list, the kind of rogues gallery of failures from the scriptures of the names of people that God used in spite of in spite of those moments when he had let others around him when they had let others around them down and when they let god down people like david the king the shepherd boy the man who's described as a, a man after god's own heart who you know as king what did he do he had an adulterous affair with the wife of one of his soldiers and commanders had that commander killed and yet god still used him at this point in this passage, it's interesting to me in this book of Acts passage that Paul here is more of a critic than an encourager. What he's really saying is, hey, Mark, he let us down before. He's going to do it again. A bit of the old Pharisee Saul, that legalistic rule keeper Saul, kind of leaks through here. Hear me carefully. Criticism is not a spiritual gift. Criticism is not an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit of God. Criticism is not grounds for self-appointed office in the life of people's families or in the life of church. We're missing baseball, and uh, we haven't been able to um, 
you know, watch any games, of course. Uh, some people are watching reruns of games, and frankly, I can't get behind watching a rerun of a game and that I know how it came out. <clears throat> What's even worse is I've noticed that some people are watching reruns of golf tournaments. That's a puzzler to me. Anyway, if you can recall those moments when you did watch sporting events on television, you know that there are always these sports commentators. When we were living in New England, there was a pair of commentators, uh, Jerry Remy and Don Orsillo, who called the Boston Red Sox games. And they were pretty darn good. They would regularly praise good things they saw in the field for both teams, no matter who was playing. But here's the thing about most sports commentators. They are most eloquent when they're criticizing what's happened out there. And the irony of that to me is a lot of those people who are sports commentators have never ever played the game, but they feel free to critique. Unfortunately, that characteristic of having never been in the game themselves and yet being willing to critique is true for people in families, in relationships, and in churches, sadly. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, chapter 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it might benefit those who listen. If the speech isn't good, we ought to zip our lips. We ought to look for ways to build up others in the moment of need. We should speak so that whoever would be listening in would, would gain benefit for that, from that conversation. The encourager, this is what Barnabas does, the encourager looks for the best and he rejoices or she rejoices in it. <clears throat> now it is true, of course, that those with relational standing in our lives can <clears throat> gently restore us along the way. The Bible talks about that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The book of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. But here's the difference. It's the difference between genuine investment on the part of people who are invested in our well-being and who will bring the occasional thing to our attention when we need to hear it from somebody who loves us. It's the difference between those kind of people and people who can never seem to find anything right and yet to seem to be persistent experts in finding things wrong. I love the uh, Charlie Brown comics. We watch the Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown specials every year when they come around. My favorite one, of course, is the oldest one, the Christmas one. But if you've ever seen any of the Charlie Brown specials and they're in a classroom situation and the teacher is speaking, here's what's going on, right? The kids are looking at the teacher and the teacher is saying things, but what's coming across to the kids is wah, 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 wah. They're just not hearing it. And that's what happens when somebody who is a persistent voice of criticism speaks. It's wah, 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 wah. Barnabas never spoke that way from the record that we have of him in the book of Acts. So wrapping this up, an encourager gives freely of their resources without expecting anything in return. An encourager accepts us where we are and takes us where we need to go. And an encourager gets excited about the progress of other people. And an encourager has a servant mentality in meeting needs. And an encourager advocates for second chances. There's an important final note about encouragement, at least for this morning. And that is we cannot sustain encouragement in our own strength for very long. 
As believers in Jesus, we need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit who infuses us with energy to be the agents of encouragement that God has called us to be. I don't know if you caught this back in chapter 11, verse 24 of the book of Acts, when we were describing Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He was called a good man who was full of the Spirit and full of faith. That is the description of an encourager. I don't know if you've ever heard of the painter Benjamin West. He was the official court painter for George III, Mad King George of England, back in the Revolutionary War uh, days. And before the Revolutionary War, he um, uh, he did a painting. And I'm going to show you this painting in just a second. But here's the thing about this. When he was a kid, when he was a kid, his mom left the house one day. Now, you know this is always potential trouble, right? If you're a mom and you leave the kids home alone, no matter what their age, things can happen. But Benjamin's mom left home, left the house. And so Benjamin, what's he do? He gets out oils to paint with. And he made a huge mess. These are oils paints, right? Oils-based paints. He made a huge mess. He tried to clean this mess up before his mom got back. And of course, in trying to clean it up, he just made it worse. Mom comes in. She walks over to Ben and says, and kisses him on the forehead and says, uh, Ben, that's a wonderful picture. What were you painting? Ben nervously says, my sister. And she kissed him on the forehead again and says, that's a wonderful picture. Folks, that's what you and I need, right? We need kisses of encouragement, not someone who's an expert in pointing out the mess. And so the question for all of us this morning is, which do we do? Do we give kisses of encouragement or or do we point out the mess? I want you to think about that as you watch what happens from the man who got that kiss of encouragement.